Welcome if you weren't here this morning. Uh, walked in the building tonight and uh, Mike Smith was very excited. He's a Lipscomb graduate and apparently they won and made it into the NCAA tournament. So that's already started. Teams are already starting to fill out our, our brackets. We'll have to get our office pool worked up and I guess a, a week from now they'll put out all of the brackets. Which raises an interesting question. We're talking about tough questions on Sunday mornings. And I may have to do a sermon on this one. So, Lipscomb and Harding. I mean, let's face it. Let's be honest here. Our tribe, Churches of Christ, not the biggest of the Christian tribes, right? And we have a few Christian colleges. So how did Lipscomb and Harding both choose bison? I mean, as a mascot, they're both bison. And it's like not even a really biblical animal. I don't know if there's any bison in the Bible, Charlie. I don't know. Um, like we could eagles make sense or I just one of those questions that keeps me up at night <laughs> and which one of them chose first and it's like seriously you guys are going to be the bison too really so anyway um, I don't know I just wonder about that but I like quirky stories and some of the stories I read online um, news stories this one's from the AP I kind of wonder if that's something I might have gotten myself to, into when I was a kid. And it's a story about a, a kid. This is from last month. Titusville, Florida, AP News Report. Uh, Family-style restaurant down there. Bill, do you know where Titusville is? Where is that? Okay. Okay, that's good knowledge. Knowledge drop. Uh, well, this kid Mason at a family-style restaurant... Uh, Beef O'Brady's, is that a thing down there? Okay, okay, that's the name of the restaurant. There you go, okay. We got ties to Beef O'Brady's. Well, there's this kid. <laughs> they, serve, they, serve, they serve pure bison meat at Beef O'Brady's. Chicken, chicken at Beef O'Brady's, surely not. Well, there's this kid. This is last month at that Beef O'Brady's in Titusville, Florida. This kid named Mason, um, as his family ate, he kind of wandered over to, they had some games and things, you know, as they do at some of these places to get some extra money or whatever. But there was this, uh, you've seen this before, the claw game. Big glass box full of toys. And, you know, you put your money in and then you operate this claw and you try to pick up a toy and then take it over to the chute and drop it down. And, and some of the toys are kind of, you know, good-sized toys, teddy bears and things. So anyway, uh, Mason saw this toy inside the claw vending machine there at the Beef O'Brady. He decided he had to have this toy. Mason didn't have any money, though. Um, so couldn't, he tried to reach his arm up through the chute and grab the toy, couldn't get all the way up there, so what did he do? He contorted his body, and he was able to squeeze himself up through the chute. I mean, seriously, you can act, there's actually video of this from the ABC affiliate down there in Florida, um, you, and he actually got himself all the way inside the glass case. And... I was thinking, ah, man, I'm so glad I didn't think of trying this when I was a kid because I probably would have. And I was also thinking, parents, don't let your kids see this new story because some little boys, will there'll be copycat kids on this deal. So he gets inside there uh, and is there with all of the toys. So he was able to accomplish uh, what he was after to a point. 
Once inside, however, and I think we do have some pictures there. That's actual footage of Mason there at that Beef O'Brady's. Uh, once, once inside, he was unable to get back out, could not climb back out the chute. And I was watching this, and it was kind of fun to watch. There was actually a couple of firemen in the restaurant, and, then, and they had somebody call 911 so they could get the rest of the Titusville firemen out there. Uh, but undeterred, he got inside, and he got himself stuck. He was rescued, and I'm told rescued with minimal damage to the claw machine. So I think the machine is still operational. I know you guys were wondering about that. Uh, <laughs> So Jeremy House, who was an off-duty fireman, was there at the restaurant, and he kind of helped out. And then some of his buddies showed up after they called 911, and it took about five minutes they got him out. On the video, he's crying, by the way. He wasn't happy about this. It wasn't like he was just sitting in there, wow, he's, he, was, he was pretty freaked out when he got in there. Um, so this is from the Facebook page there, the local fire department. Thankfully, he was never in any distress as one of our own lieutenants happened to be there off-duty and made short work of the situation. Our firefighters were able to get Mason out, and with minimal damage to the game, we love a happy ending and are glad everything worked out. Um, and I did wonder, though, if the kid actually got the toy, if they let him keep the toy. I would probably say that's probably not a good idea. You don't want to reward that situation, right? But I do admire the kid. He saw what he wanted, and he was relentless. I mean, he was going to get that toy out of that machine, whether he had money or not. And it did make me think, as we're working through the book of Joshua, as we're working through these really great stories and captivating stories in the book of Joshua, um, there is this reoccurring theme that kind of comes out of these stories in the book of Joshua, and it's this... Just how badly do we want the blessing of God in our lives? Just what will we do to make sure we are connected to that? Uh, what are we willing to sacrifice? How far are we willing to follow the Lord? How, how much will we trust Him um, so that we do not miss out on what we see that He has for us? Um, and last week we saw a family that was willing to miss out on what God had for them. They did not fully trust the Lord, and it's the family of a guy named Achan. Um, they didn't trust God fully. They didn't think he had their best interests at heart. Perhaps they thought God was holding out on them a little bit. And so Achan, his family as well, it looks like from the story, they took matters into their own hands, and uh, the Israelites had been, kind of review on that, Israelites had been clearly instructed when you go to Jericho, uh, the plunder, the spoils of war in Jericho are dedicated to the Lord. You are not going to profit financially, materially from the conquest of this walled fortress city, um, but Achan decided to make off with some of the goods, some silver, um, a, a very luxurious Babylonian robe, like something uh, Babylonian royalty would have worn that was worth a lot of money. And they knew they were doing wrong. And I say they because he couldn't have pulled this off all on his own. They knew they were doing wrong, Achan and his family, because they actually, inside the tent, dug a hole in the ground and buried all of this stuff and then probably covered it up with some, some rugs or whatever. Um, so he made off with some really great stuff and, and took care of his family there at Jericho. That's what he thought he was doing. But it did not work out well, if you remember last week. The sin, 
the disobedience to God's word, the lack of trust in God, had devastating consequences for him and even people that weren't all that connected to him. It's a sad story. The army goes on to the next battle, the Battle of Ai, a smaller fortress city up in the mountains, and they are defeated quite easily by the defenders of Ai. They get run down the mountain slopes. Um, About three dozen soldiers died in this first attempt to take Ai. And this defeat, as we read last week, it brought doubt, it brought discouragement to all of the people, to all of God's people. They're like, wait, God gave us this amazing miraculous victory at Jericho. Remember the walls come tumbling down and and they take the city easily. And then we get to Ai and it's a complete reversal. And so they're very confused and saddened by this. And once the sin was exposed, once Achan and his family's sin was exposed, they are led outside by the people, are are led with Achan's family outside of the camp there and the family of Achan is stoned to death. And that place outside the camp became known as the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Trouble. And that's what happens when we step outside of God's blessing. That's what happens when we don't trust. We get ourselves into a Valley of Trouble. And I'll be honest with you, I do struggle. We are talking about this a little bit, not this story, but this idea this morning. I do struggle a little bit with the fairness of all of this. I struggle a little bit. My sense of fairness, I'm like, I don't know about that. Um, Achan sins, and then all of Israel, in a way, is punished for that sin. And I'm, I'm kind of left, at least my first thought is, really, God, is that, is that fair that everyone had to suffer? I mean, the entire uh, you know, nation suffers this loss at Ai as the battle, as, as the soldiers are repelled there because of Achan and his sin. And we talked about this a little bit last week. It makes you consider the reality that we do live in connection with each other. As much as you want to, might want to create a bubble around yourself, we live in fellowship with each other. And obedience brings blessings not only to us personally and to our families, but those that are connected with us. And in the same way, disobedience, same thing, right? Disobedience brings harm often not just to the individual who sinned, but to those that are connected to that individual. And we could list sin after sin from drug addiction to affairs to whatever. It's not just the person that commits the sin that gets hurt. We all live in connection. And so the effects of decisions, of choices to follow God, to honor Him, or to live selfishly, um, those effects ripple. We talked about that last week through marriages, through families, uh, through churches. Uh, They ripple out into the world as we lose our testimony. Uh, And the world needs us to live for God. They need to see us put God on display. And we rob that of them when we live selfishly. So I think often, and whether this may be a contributor or maybe an accelerant, um, when we talk about disobedience, is underestimating this, is underestimating this ripple effect that sin has on those that we live into connection with, those that we live in fellowship with. So Achan is dealt with. The family is dealt with. 
More importantly, the sin is dealt with and a lesson is taught, a pretty strong lesson to God's people about disobedience here. And the second assault on AI is going to look a lot different. Um, God's favor is with his people. Um, And if you, by the way, this is one of those, Charlie, if you're a student of military history, I love reading military history. Like, I love, I'm into the Civil War. I'm into ancient warfare and stuff like that. And if you, if, if you get captivated by stuff like that on the History Channel or books about uh, military history, you're going to enjoy this story a lot because this battle is different from Jericho where, where there really wasn't a lot of military strategy. It was God just showing off. It was like, hey, you guys just walk circles. I'm going to take care of everything. This one, Joshua actually does get to develop a strategy. And yes, it is God's favor that gives him the victory, but it's very interesting um, as he devises this strategy. So under the cover of darkness, um, back up the mountain they go to Ai, and this time the strength of the army is placed very close to the city of Ai, outside the city walls, but under cover of darkness, they, a, a large 5,000 soldiers, they hide. Okay, they just hide in waiting kind of behind the city there in the rocks and the trees and the brambles up there. In the morning, so this is a feint, in the morning, uh, Joshua marches up the road toward the city gates. I mean, there, and it looks just like it did. If you're standing inside AI, if you're one of the defenders of that city, it looks just like it did the first time. So naturally, you're going to want to respond exactly the way you did the first time because it worked. And so there's Joshua and his soldiers marching straight up toward the city, broad daylight. Um, and, and this is just uh, absolutely brilliant um, because there's been a trap set, obviously, here. Um, Joshua shows some of his cards, and he hides, he hides the ace. He's got the ace. And the soldiers of Ai, like I said, they see this. Uh, it's all developing like it did the first time. We're going to route them. just. We're going to run them down the mountain just like we did the first time. And so they open the city gates, and every single soldier, every defender of the city of Ai, they empty the city, and they run after those Israelites. And Joshua and his soldiers, oh, no, here they come. They turn, and they start running away, full retreat, just like the first time around. But it's all part of the plan. AI took the bait. They fell into the trap. They stream out of the city. The route is on, or so they think. All of a sudden, so just imagine this. Joshua and his soldiers running down that, that, running away from the city, hundreds of yards outside of the city. All of a sudden, Joshua turns around, takes his javelin, and points it up at the city and it's a little confusing to those guys uh, who are chasing and they're like what is this guy doing the the defenders of ai so they kind of turn around and look where joshua is pointing and that was the signal once they got those defenders all far enough from the city the guys that were in waiting the guys that were hiding out the thousands they jumped up flooded into the now open and undefended city and they lit it on fire so imagine I, it's impossible really to imagine but just think of how those residents of, of ai those soldiers felt when they turned around they look where joshua was pointing and these soldiers rush into their city next thing they know their city is on fire and they are surrounded there's joshua and his men here there's the five thousand up here in their city anyway 
it went pretty quickly at that point. Seeing that they were outnumbered, that they were surrounded, they fell into disarray. Uh, they were wiped out by Joshua and his soldiers. The king of Ai was captured, was killed, and he was hung kind of as a, as a symbol, as a display for others not to mess with Israel and their God. And the second battle of Ai is total victory. It was a good day for Israel. Now, I think this is the important closure on the story, and it's put there right after this battle for us. After this victory and the defeat before the victory and the hard lessons we learned from Achan and his disobedience, Joshua does something memorable and moving. He wants to make sure that the people of Israel see the moral of this story from the city of Ai, that this is not forgotten. And so the lesson has... It doesn't have much to do, although I'm fascinated with the military strategy here. The lesson really has little to do with military strategy or leadership skills or Joshua's generaling. But it has to do with the importance of living in connection with God, with his inspired word, and with each other as a community of faith. And the moral of the story, I would summarize it basically this. It is to take God's instructions seriously. I think that's the moral of the story here. And to make the point, it's, a, it's, it's going to be a visual point. It's going to be an experiential point. Joshua gathers the people all together in one place. They build an altar on Mount Ebal to honor God. And then he organizes the people uh, um, with the the Ark of the Covenant kind of dividing the people. Half of the people are on the side of Mount Gerizim. The other half of the people are on the side of Mount Ebal. And Joshua then reminds them of God's words all of God's words that they had available to them at that point. So they are all together standing there. This is, the ark is there. The altar is there just after the defeat and the victory. And so they are going to remember. And so Joshua just reads the word of God, the whole counsel of God. And I'm just going to pick this up. Chapter 8, verses 33 to 35. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, Half of them stood in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded and gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, Joshua read all of the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read in front of the full assembly of Israel, including women and children, including aliens who lived, foreigners who lived among them. <clears throat> now, we know, we're just told, one of those passages that came from Moses would have been from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 11. We read these a while back, and it's a passage about how God chose Israel, not because of how great they were, not because of how powerful. He chose them. That's why they were great, because they were chosen. He loved Israel, how he promised to bless his people if they followed him. 
and promise to walk with them in this relationship with them. On the other hand, the blessings and the curses, he shared with them how they would find frustration and pain and defeat if they chose to disobey, if they chose to move away from God. I, I read this this week, and I thought, this, this to me looks a little bit like um, a married couple, a couple that chooses to renew their vows, you know, years into their marriage. Um, we're having our 25th wedding anniversary, by the way, this Tuesday, I remember. Um, but some couples choose to renew their vows, and it feels a little bit like that, like they're all getting together it's very kind of ceremonial, very important feeling with the ark and the altar and the word being read there. And just, just how badly did Israel want that blessing of God? Would they follow fully? Would they obey God completely? Would they trust Yahweh or not? That's kind of the question of the hour. And so the last part of Joshua 8 is a break in the narrative flow of the book. In the, the narrative flow of the book of Joshua, battle, 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 and then the end, um, as for me and mine, we're going to follow the Lord. And, and so, but we got this breaking point in here. Kind of, We kind of take a breather, and uh, we have this amazing leader, Joshua, pushing the pause button and saying, what we need to do now is we need to stop down and remember that we are part of a bigger story, a story that came before us, a story that will go after us, God's story. That's what we're a part of. And so Joshua reads every single word that Moses had written down, that Moses had received from the Lord. He presents the whole counsel of God, the benefits of being in relationship with God, of taking the word of God seriously, and the consequences of not. And what happens when you don't take God seriously? Um, he's giving them all of that. And it's important, isn't it, um, for God's people to remember not just the work that they have to do, not just the battles that they have to fight, but to get oriented around the bigger story, the bigger ideas. We are God's precious people. He has chosen us. He wants to bless us. He wants us to walk in this relationship with Him. Um, he has done so much for us. And we have these divine instructions, and they are critical to us for us to prosper, for us to be blessed, uh, for us to be who we were called and chosen to be. And now something else I see, and this is kind of where we're going to finish up our time tonight. In these last chapters of Joshua that we've been looking at, I think we basically see from the battle of Jericho the conquest and the blessing that comes through obedience, but we also see that sin is there. Sin is lurking. And not just for Achan and his family, but for all of us, that it's close, 
that that choice to move out of fellowship is always right there and the enemy is at work. It, it really is. It's, that's the situation and we see how serious um, sin is, how it breaks relationship with God, how it breaks relationship with, with each other, and how it brings, like we said, this harvest of destruction and disgrace into our lives. And finally in these chapters, we are reminded um, that knowing God's word, that taking God's word seriously, following his instructions, this is, this is absolutely critical to walking in the blessing of God. But here's something to think about. Achan was a sinner. He coveted. He disobeyed. He tried to cover up, literally cover up, hide his sin. But aren't we in the same boat as Achan? Aren't we sinners like Achan? Who hasn't coveted? Who hasn't disobeyed? Who hasn't tried to keep that secret, hide that? All of us are in that boat. I mean, sorry. Paul comes along in the New Testament, tells us what we already know. Not like anyone can argue with what he says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is in the same boat as Achan. Even if we gather to listen to God's word and we gather together to pray and we gather together to worship and even if we want God's blessing, we see it there and we want it, um, at times we decide to follow our own path. We decide to step away from the Father. All of us fail all of us fall short. And God, He's holy. Disobedience will not be tolerated, cannot be tolerated. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He can't just wink and say no big deal. It is a big deal. And so this perfect and righteous God, He can't just ignore our wickedness. He couldn't just ignore Achan. And so I would say we've got a bit of a problem. A terrible dilemma. The end. Next week. No, no, not the end, okay? We could leave it there. But there is good news. And while this may look like a hopeless situation, I mean, for good news to really look good, you got to feel like you're in a hopeless situation first. And I mean, it looks like it. God's perfect, we're not perfect. Achan deserved punishment, we deserve punishment. While it may look hopeless, there are seeds of hope planted even in this Old Testament book. The gospel is there if you pay attention. Right in the middle of the, of the book of Joshua. Maybe you could almost call it the gospel of Joshua tonight. There is a hint of grace even in the name of the book, the book of Joshua, or in Hebrew, the book of Yeshua. Yeah, this is the same name as Jesus in Hebrew. Joshua, Jesus, same name. Yeshua and Yeshua. And there's a lot we can learn here 
that, I mean, yes, the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is, is woefully incomplete um, without the, the other Yeshua, the one who's coming later, centuries later. God loves us, but he knows us. He knows all about our highlight moments and our not-so-highlight moments. And he knows that we are all sinners who stand deserving of his wrath. And that's why he had an even more daring and cunning plan than Joshua's plan to take AI that we read about tonight. It is the gospel story. You talk about sending troops behind enemy lines. God sent himself. He sent his son, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to live a blame-free life of obedience, of dedication, of love, the sort of life that none of us has lived. And he lived it on our behalf. And this second Joshua, this second Yeshua, lived this blameless life and then suffered the punishment that we deserved. We didn't get kicked out of the camp in stone, did we? We didn't get punished. We got grace. First Peter chapter 3, I'll finish with this and then we'll, we'll pray, but 1 Peter three eighteen and 19. For Christ, Yeshua, Jesus, for Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. That's good news. Let's pray together. God, we humble our hearts tonight, and <laughs> I find myself so easily, conveniently, naturally, pointing the finger of blame at the villain, at Achan, his disobedience, his lack of trust. His disrespect for your word, for your instructions, it's so easy to do. And yet I know I'm guilty of, of judgment. Guilty of sin. Deserving of holy wrath. And Father, even in this Old Testament book, Yeshua is there. And we see you even there giving us the seeds of hope, the seeds of the gospel, that one day another Yeshua would come and would take upon his body the punishment that I deserved, that we deserved. And God, we're grateful for that. It's why we gather. It's why we worship. It's why we take communion. It's a great encouragement to us. We're thankful that you have washed away our sin.
and called us your own. And Father, even more than that identity of Israel, the chosen, the elect, you have called us your sons and daughters. You've adopted us into your family. And how amazing that is and how grateful we are for that. And so, Father, because of the great sacrifice made and the great mercy that we have received, we pray that your Holy Spirit will stir in us a desire not to do less, but to do more. Not an excuse for disobedience, but a great motivation to show our gratefulness and love for you and follow more fully than ever. And we pray that as we do, we will enjoy the blessing that you have for us, the victories that you have in store for this for us, but more than anything else, we pray that we will enjoy fellowship with you, our Father, and with each other. This is our prayer in the name of Yeshua, our Savior, our Lord. Amen. Let's be standing together. Let's worship. <laughs>